Hello and welcome back to the IAU podcast featuring athlete interviews and this episode I'm joined by Peter van Weingarten from Team Netherlands. Peter ran his first ultramarathon in 2010 which was Racing the Planet Australia. This is a multi-day stage race where he finished third male and fourth overall. The following year in 2011 he ran his first 24-hour race in Teutonbeck, London where he covered a distance of 227.905 kilometres to finish first overall. And the following year, 2012, he represented the Netherlands in the 24-hour World and European Championships in Katowice, Poland. Peter, welcome to the podcast. And before we start talking about running, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you lived in Cambridge, but now live in Melbourne. What brought you there? Thanks, John. I'm delighted to be here. Um, yeah, I, I'm a, a medical doctor, but um, I, I went to Cambridge after my, my training as an eye surgeon to do some research. So I was in Cambridge for a couple of years to do some postdoctoral research, actually looking at regenerating the brain. Now, as you travelled, were you involved with the local running clubs? I guess I began um, running in my, my mid-20s in Australia um, as a young doctor, I was working out in the country for the first um, six months of my uh, life as a, as a doctor and uh, was working horrid shifts, sort of 14 hours straight, 12 days on and then two days off. So, and actually living in the hospital. So my whole life was, was uh, patients and hospitals. So I actually started running um, as, as a bit of respite and there was a little local um, pine forest. And I found that, that running first thing in the morning gave me some sort of um, stress relief and, and so that, that's how I sort of started running in my mid-20s and um, managed to enter a, just a local fun run. And I was running past a, a guy who, who started a conversation with me and he happened to be a running coach um, with a, a local running group up in the, um, the Dandenongs, the mountains, just um, half an hour from Melbourne. And that, that happens to be a, an absolute running mecca where the likes of Ron Clark and some of our most famous athletes trained um, and he, he invited me to join his group. And so um, uh, quite nervously, I remember turning up uh, the following Sunday uh, at, at the assigned spot in the, in the forest and uh, happened to join the most remarkable group of runners, uh, you know, world marathon champion representatives and multiple um, Commonwealth Games representatives and, and indeed cross-country, world cross-country champ representatives for Australia. And so just stumbled upon this world-class group and, 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 and then started training for a marathon um, and uh, ended up running my first marathon in Sydney in 2002 on, on the iconic Sydney Marathon Olympic course um, and, and got a real surprise. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I'd read a couple of books about marathon but uh, didn't really know what I was doing and ended up coming 15th overall. Um, 12th Australian male and um, and so the rest uh, was history. I sort of got the bug and, and ran a few marathons subsequently and won the Australian University Championships the following year in, in the Gold Coast um, and then uh, went across to Auckland and ran the Auckland International Marathon and, and came third there. Um, so I kind of discovered my passion for running quite, quite late. With the interest in marathon running, and sounds like you had a bit of a talent for it. What made you step up to trying the multi-stage race in 2010? Yeah, so I'd, I'd had a bit of a break from from racing um, at the more sort of competitive end because I um, started my training as an eye doctor and that was pretty all-consuming. So I, I kept running, but not at a, a 
particularly intense level. Um, and then when I finished my exams, my sister actually challenged me to sort of um, to sign up to this uh, Racing the Planet race. And I remember looking at the website and thinking, this is ludicrous. There's no way, you know, it, it's madness. And then I, I couldn't stop thinking about it and uh, ended up signing up. It was a, um, a race in the Kimberley region of um, northern Western Australia, some of the most rugged countryside in Australia. Uh, and so with very little training, I sort of embarked on this and, and, um, and ended up doing pretty well. And so that really got me into the, um, the ultra scene. Um, and, and I then signed up for a few local races, uh, um, 80K race uh, and then 196K race in, in Victoria uh, in the state in which I live and ended up winning those and got points to qualify for UTMB. And, and that coincided with me moving across to the UK um, so I, I entered the uh, UTMB shortly after moving to, to Cambridge and um, it was in, in 2011 and, and it was um, that year where the, uh, the, the weather was pretty inclement and the, the start of the race was delayed till I think it was about 11.30 at night and, you know, so nerves were, were very, um, you know, much on edge. And I remember starting off, it was, it was a crazy race. It started off very rapidly. I think Killian Journey was... Uh, was competing and, and a whole host of, you know, the very best trail runners in the world. And I remember being quite awestruck as I was running the first, you know, 10 or so Ks with, with many of the sort of people I'd seen online and in magazines and so on. But about 40 Ks in, I ended up um, tripping over my poles, uh, not having used uh, poles all that much and, and um, ended up cutting my knee and uh, managed to get a good view of my patella tendon in the moonlight, uh, flicking out a bit of uh, a bit of grit and dirt and and so I ended up needing to be you know sutured on the course and that was the end of my race um and so I was I was pretty devastated by that I'd never pulled out of a race before um luckily the injury was was pretty mild and so I quickly sort of got online to try and find races that I could um enter because I was pretty fit um and I found the uh the Sri Shimmoy um 24-hour race in, in London um three weeks later and so I'd never planned to do a 24-hour race on the track um but I was was sort of born out of frustration that I that I signed up to that race. Now with having that injury and going straight into another race did your medical experience or your medical theory not tell you this isn't the thing to be doing I should be resting a bit more running is what caused the problem I need to. I need to take a longer break. Well, I figured there there weren't going to be any poles involved, nor any rocks, so I figured I'd be fairly safe from from that point of view. And um, you know, it, it had healed pretty well. I just had a few sutures, and um, you know, there was no infection or so on. But it, I guess, it does raise an important point, John, that um, that certainly I found throughout my ultra career that that having a good understanding of physiology um and and medicine really does help in, in ultras because you really are pushing human physiology to the edge uh in these races and so certainly having that knowledge is is um i think a great asset yeah that had me curious because i i was thinking that you you would have a better understanding of anatomy and physiology so i was then wondering are you self-coached with the ultra using some of your, your theory about rest, recovery, and maybe how the connective tissue and bones and muscles actually adapt to training? Uh, yeah, to, to a certain extent. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm pretty time poor. So, 
you know, I, at, at the time that I was doing um, most of my ultras or certainly getting into it, I had, you know, a brand new baby, uh, you know, I was juggling a um, clinical workload and a research workload. And so I've always managed to sort of sneak my running in uh, on the side of, of those other important parts of my life. And so I guess the, the, the limiting factor for my running load has always been my other um, commitments. Um, but but certainly understanding rest and recovery and injury has certainly been very helpful. The job you have sounds quite stressful. How do you manage to switch off? And like running can be a stressful activity as well. So do you find that it helps or it's a bit of an effort? Um, for me, running has been um, a great source of um, stress relief uh, and relaxation, actually. So most of my running is done in the commute to and from work. I, I live about 15 k's if I if I run the shortest route to work, um, and so it's my uh, my warm up to the day and my wind down from the day. So I find it it's a way that I can sort of process um, some of the stress and the challenges that that I face. I was talking to an ICU nurse there recently, Rolando Waspina from the Philippines, and he does the same. He commutes into work and out of work on his feet so he's uh he couldn't that's i suppose how he got himself into the ultra state of mind and he was a marathon runner and i think he found with getting the extra training and without thinking of it that's what actually helped him improve and suppose get to where he is now do you do anything else outside of running to relax um, I guess just spend time with my, my kids and my wife. That's, you know, my great passion and, you know, they're, they're a wonderful, um, family and, uh, you know, that's, that's a great joy of my life. So that, that's my main stress release, I guess. Then do you want to go back to the running club that you mentioned you were with that had the culture of, of marathon running? I think the club you, or people that you associate with can have an influence on what you do. If you had joined a local track club that was dealing mainly with uh, track racing, do you think you might have had the same temptation to try that trail race? Well, it's very interesting you ask that, John, because um, the group that I was running in the hills with in Melbourne, um, I ended up moving um, state to do to do my main research degree, a PhD, after I'd finished my medical degree. And... Um, and moved to South Australia and um, joined the local university track club. Um, I thought I'd sort of try my hand at some 5,000 and, and 3,000 metres and so on. Um, but within a couple of months, just decided it wasn't really the thing for me. You know, I enjoyed pushing pushing myself, but, it, you know, I, I felt found myself wanting to go a bit longer and, and so um, happened to come across another guy who'd started at the same sort of time who also wanted to run a marathon and and so he he was actually from Sydney and he's the one who, who sort of signed us up for the Sydney marathon so we we prepared for that with about six weeks um you know hard focused training um and I remember driving the Sydney marathon course you know there's quite a lot of traffic in Sydney um with his mum and just thinking at the end of that drive ahead of the race what are we in for um and, uh, you know, we stood at the start line just feeling like total frauds. Um, but anyway, it ended up going really well. And, um, you know, finishing 15th was beyond my wildest dream. I know you have me wondering, if you had joined the track club first and you then started thinking, well, running isn't really for me, do you think you then might have been tempted to give her another shot trying marathon running or trail running? Or you would have had... 
suppose, that, that knowing from being on the track that this isn't really for me? I think it's hard to say. I mean, I've always, um, even at school, I, I always found cross-country running and, and running quite easy and, and, and effortless for me and, and quite fun. So I think... I think most of us that, that do a lot of running probably have it in our, you know, in our genes that, that we need to run. And I certainly, you know, I don't feel whole now unless I've been for my run. So I reckon I would have found a way back to, back to, to running and racing. My early memory of running was it being used as punishment in another sport. If you didn't do what you were supposed to do, I did martial arts and if you didn't do what you were supposed to be doing you ended up having to run laps of the dojo or if you're outside you had to run laps same if you're playing football so it was always ingrained in you that running was bad and I just started back myself accidentally because I wanted to do a race so I'm always and then I discovered that I did like it but if I didn't have a reason to start again I might not have have taken it up because of that early memory and what would a typical training week be like for you outside of your commute do you do specific sessions I guess it depends on on um, what my focus is. So if I'm preparing for, say, a marathon or a competitive ultra, then I'll usually, um, you know, build up volume. Um, so my, my with my run commute, I'm easily getting 100, 100 miles um, or 150 k's to 100 miles a week. Um, but I'd put in some focused, um, some focused speed work. And so my favourite. Um, session is is doing mile repeats with a sort of a floating 600 to 800 meter recovery um and trying to push that pretty hard it's a it's a sort of a it's a hard workout and i'd sort of get through five or six of those um but i I definitely found that that doing some speed work helps a lot and you you use miles and kilometers at the same time yeah yeah exactly (laughs) yeah yeah whichever is shortest I guess somewhat emblematic of, of my uh, running career, you know, being an Aussie representing the Netherlands and uh, and mixing up <laughs> metric and imperial. You had a very good race in the 2017 World Championships in Belfast. You covered a distance of 236.895 kilometres. Actually, I, I noticed that in that race and also in the race in Katowice, in the race in Katowice, you were less than 100 metres away from clocking another kilometer and then here again you were just over 100 kilometers could you not have run a little bit faster towards the end (laughs) it's always well i mean i would say the belfast race was a bit of a shocker for me um you know the previous world champs at turin i'd run 200 almost 242 um k's and and went into belfast with big expectations i i'd managed to get a, a bit of a hamstring strain um, just leading into the race and, you know, I'm quite stubborn. So I, you know, flying all the way from Australia to compete, you, you're pretty deeply invested. Um, and also, you know, whenever you're running for a country, it, it sort of, I think it brings out another level of, of effort. So, um, I think my, my gait was, um, changed, um, and I ended up getting quite severe, um, rhabdomyolysis. So muscle breakdown, um, and after the race, uh, straight after the race, you know, once you've dropped your little token on the track, the most unusual thing happened to me. And, I, and you know, it started to ring some alarm bells. I got a, a cramp, but not in my legs, in my tongue. So the tip of my tongue went white. Uh, I was unable to talk for about half an hour. And I just thought, wow, there's, there must be some serious, um, you know, problem with my blood electrolytes or something like that. 
So I went to the athletes village, had a shower and, and um, promptly caught a cab to the local hospital. Um, and, and they were a bit of a loss of, as to what, you know, what test to order. So I, you know, ran off the list of tests that needed to be done. Um, and, and promptly the, the, um, physician came and, and took me up to coronary care. My, um, the muscle breakdown product, um, the, the CK, um, was, was above the limits of detection, uh, of the, the test. Um, it was at the level that they see in sort of severe crush injuries or, or burn victims. And so I was, um, you know, I was in coronary care at, at the Ulster hospital for, in Belfast for three days um on, on an iv line and um closely monitored and fortunately i you know i went there at a time before there was any injury to my kidneys because one of the problems is if you have muscle breakdown that that protein damages your kidneys and you can end up with kidney failure so um i managed to avoid that my kidney function was fine but my muscles were pretty badly damaged and i didn't even notice you were gone <laughs> Sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, it was okay. It was uh, I. I had to send a fairly, um, uh, fairly edited version of the story as it was unfolding to my wife, who's also a doctor in, in Melbourne, because I knew that she would. That would be the end of my running, uh, my competitive running, if she knew the full extent of it. Okay, okay well let's let's move on a bit. Now, with regards <laughs> muscle breakdown, how would you? counteract that or deal with that going into the the next race like is it a way you prepare beforehand or is this something you would do during the race yeah it's, it's a combination of things so uh, there's no getting away from you know having uh, a solid base in the lead up to an ultra race you know you um you know i think most of the people who run in in um, at this sort of level in in world championships and so on are, are very stubborn and very um determined um and so there's a danger that if you don't have a solid enough base, you're setting yourself up for trouble. Um, I mean, one of the other things is that you need to listen to your body during the race. I mean, I think at about eight or nine hours, you know, I started getting quite bad quadriceps pain, um, you know, in, in both legs and, and just pushed on. And, and, you know, I ran quite a few laps with, um, with ice packs under my compression shorts. You know, it was at that sort of level. So, you know, I probably should have, you know, heeded the the messages and and just, you know, temporise my expectations. So so I think understanding what is normal discomfort as opposed to, you know, a more significant injury is, is key. And I know that Camille in, in her podcast, um, you know, was very wise in, in, in her assessment of her injuries during a race recently. Um, so that's that. Um, the other thing to say is, you're much more at risk of um, severe muscle breakdown if you um, are not hydrating properly. Um, and a massive no-no is taking non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. So, you know, your ibuprofen and so on. Um, you know, ha had I have taken that for the pain, I, I have no doubt I would have ended up in, in kidney failure and then, you know, would have been in the hospital for, for weeks. So those, the, those are the keys. Now, what you mentioned there with the ice packs under the compression shorts, that's actually a, an ultra-running fashion. So that doesn't look <laughs> out of place. Now, that's interesting what you said there about the uh, painkillers because the painkillers don't stop the damage from happening. They just reduce your your body or your brain's ability to know that it's actually happening. So it's continuing on. Would that be right? Yeah, absolutely. So the, absolutely. So the, the damage is still happening, but you're less aware of it. 
Correct, and and that particular class of um, painkillers um, affects the um, the kidneys um, and and primes them for injury from from those toxic proteins. So it's a double whammy. It it um, it masks the fact that you're causing injury, which is generating more of those breakdown products, but it's also setting your kidney up for injury. Could you name that painkiller again? So it's it's any of the class of non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, the ibuprofen um, class of, of medications. Okay, that's very interesting. And what you mentioned there about the training. So the better prepared you were, the more of a protective effect your body has against the stress and impact from a long distance race. Absolutely. It's it's all about, you know, a long period of progressive build up and loading that's conditioning your muscles to what is going to be an extraordinary um, you know, trauma, repeated trauma actually, which is which is what constitutes ultra marathon running really. Yes, and nine nine and a half times out of ten, somebody who's going to be competing in a world or European championship will have put years and years of training into their body. There's very few outliers None that I know of that can just all of a sudden go out and run these kind of distances. It doesn't happen really. Yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> I guess it's the danger if, if you know, your life's particularly busy um, and, you know, you're trying to sneak sneak the training in and you think that, you know, the bare minimum might be enough. Um, you know, when you're on that world stage, I think that's where you can really run into trouble. And, you know, you would have seen it as well, John, that, uh, you know, the... the the, the flux during the course of the race, people look, you know, the healthiest you've ever seen at the start of the, the race. And there's this progressive degeneration. <laughs> and, you know, people look like they should be in the hospital after the race. It's quite amazing. Yeah. And that, that big smile starts to fall. Doesn't it? The, the muscles in the face yeah. even get weakened. Yeah. yeah that's all, yeah, that's all part of it. Yeah. Following on from this, what would, what do you think was your most challenging race? Would it have been Belfast? Uh, yeah, I think it was Belfast. Um, Steinbergen in Holland was an interesting challenge in that um, I was team captain as, as the sort of national champion of the Netherlands. That, it's actually quite funny how that happened. So I ran my race in, in London. And um, although I've lived in Australia uh, since I was five, I've, I've got a Dutch passport. I've never resided in the Netherlands. I was born in South Africa. Um, but... For the Tudingbeck race, um, the London race, I you had to register your nationality by passport, and um, and so I got this email from the Dutch national selectors saying, "Who are you? We've never heard of you, and we'd love you to run for Holland." And I, you know, I responded and said, "Well, you know, I'd feel a bit awkward doing that. I've never lived in Holland." And they said, "Well, don't worry. Come and come and run in our national championships, which was um, just a few months later." So I did that, and it ended up winning the national championships. And so the following world champs was actually after Poland was was in the Netherlands. So here was this uh, Aussie accented um, pseudo Dutch guy uh, as captain, uh, team captain for the Netherlands, the host nation. And so there was quite a bit of expectation, mostly self imposed. And and I didn't have a great race, and and you know didn't get a good distance. And so that was that was a tough race psychologically. From what I can remember with that race in Steenbergen, it was very cold and a lot of rain. And yeah. that is etched in my mind. And I had a shocker of a race there as well. I can remember that very, very well. It was flat, which was nice, but the weather, no, that, that wasn't good. I think our, it was a shocker. Our, our tent got flooded. It was a shocker. And you'll remember, John, 
the back half of that course was very, very dimly lit. Yeah. Uh, there were some candles, there were some candles in little jars. And as you were running past, it was the most like, uh, it was like a graveyard. You know, it was crazy. It made you feel so tired. So that was one one race in which I felt really tired during the night. There was one of the girls on Team GB, and I can just remember her running past me each time. She seemed to meet me along that stretch each time, and she was so chirpy and smiling. And I'm I'm hoping to talk to her now very soon, so I'll remind her of that. But yeah, that that was a a tough weekend. I won't forget that one myself. It does. It does raise a really um, important point, though, John. The sense of camaraderie really transcends the national um, boundaries there in the in the world champs. There's this remarkable um, camaraderie, and you get a lift from you know from everyone who's out there, and and you know it's unlike any other race that I've competed in. It really is the spirit of of um, friendly competition is is remarkable. Yes, it is. And I think especially with a 24 hour race because of the pace, it allows people time to actually run together. Well, even if they don't want to, you're just going to fall into someone else's step and it can take a while to actually pass somebody out. And towards the end of a race, yeah, you do get to know people that that bit better. Suppose you're, yeah. you're, you're kind of rubbing shoulders with them so often. Absolutely. Have you tried a uh, 50k or 100k? Um, yeah, I've run, I've run um, a couple of 50k track races, um, the Australian um, Championships here in Coburg on the, on the track and um, a few years ago and, and um, ended up winning the, the 50k, uh, sorry, the 80k. Um, it was, I think, no, it was six hours. It was a six-hour chance, that's right. Um, ended up winning that. Um, yeah, I, and I actually, I quite enjoy the, the shorter distances. It's a different type of running. Being able to sort of stretch the speed a little bit more. It sounds like ultra really is your thing, and I'm wondering if you didn't do the race in the planet race, would you have gone trying the 24 hour race? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think I would have had the confidence to do it. Um, I, I I got a huge lift from that, and um, you know that was a remarkably affirming race those those outback races the stage races you just build remarkable camaraderie with with the other competitors but i think you learn a huge amount about your own resilience and um capacity to sort of push on in the face of you know shocking heat and bad terrain and um you know you, you really do suffer and i think you you actually start to learn what you're made of so i think that that gave me tremendous confidence to sign up for some of the longer races and, and just believe that I could finish them. So there is a chance that if you didn't find that stage race, that you might not have then found the sport that you were really good at. Yeah, I think so. I probably would have um, done a few a few more marathons and that, that probably would have been it. I'd just be running for, for fun and non-competitively. And since starting ultra running, what do you think you have found from your... What do you think you have found out about your own endurance and personal limits? Um, I, I think that we are, we're all so much more capable than we think we are. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very aware that, um, that the major limitation for me has been, you know, the other commitments in my life, but I'm, I'm happy to accept that. I think that's an important, um, you know, we, we have to come to terms with, with running in the context of our lives. And, and so for me, running is, 
um, it's a real balance to to the other parts of my life. I'm I'm tremendously grateful to have have running in my life. Um, you know, and and I've had periods where I've competed very intensively, and then and then that's waned as as works become more more demanding. Um, but I've got no doubts that I will be running until you know, I'm old, and I, it, I guess it brings me back to that first. 24 hour track race. And it's probably the most inspiring thing I've ever witnessed in my life. Um, running on that, on that um, same race was, was a man in his seventies and he did not stop. He, he ran that whole race nonstop at metronomic pace. And he ended up clocking over a hundred miles. And for me, that was just the ultimate. Um, and if I can aspire to do anything, it would be to, to be, that man, I can't recall his his name. You might be able to look it up. Um, it's Jeffrey. It some I'm trying to think of his name now at the moment because you have me guessing. You know, I've I've met him a few times, and I'm just drawing a blank on it now at the moment. It oh. was it was astonishing, and you know, I, I had no idea what I was doing in that first race. I even had three attempted to Jeffrey have Oliver. Uh, Jeffrey Oliver, that's his name. And yeah, I, think I, I was right. in Tooting Beck maybe two years ago uh, with someone over there. And again, he broke records that he had been setting. And at the end of the race, when he turns up to collect his trophy, he's there looking, looking, you know, so so well presented. He looks like somebody who's going to going to a, a work meeting, you know. It's, yeah, and and you know, puts the young the young ones to shame. I mean, for me, that was such a huge inspiration, and um, you know, I'll never forget that. And I hope to be um, like him, you know, running. You know, such amazing feats in, in, at that age. Yeah, he's a, a proper gentleman. Yeah. yeah. Now, before we finish up, a lot of races have been cancelled over the last while. If you had a free pass and told, okay, there's a, there's a race that you can do within the next couple of months, uh, whatever you pick, is there one that's on your bucket list that you would choose? Yeah, first? there absolutely is. You know, I was, I was born in South Africa to, um, to Dutch parents. And, um, and so I would love to go and run comrades. I think, you know, that, that distance is probably, you know, close to my sweet spot. Um, but for me, that would be a, you know, quite an emotional experience, I think. So I, I definitely need to get to comrades at some stage as a tribute to my grandparents and, and, you know, that part of my heritage. That's a good choice. And it should be an easily accessible race. And what advice would you give to someone who's thinking of starting in the sport of ultra running or maybe stepping up to try something like a 24-hour race? I think that um, that the, the, the hurdles and the barriers are very much um, self-imposed. I think, you know, you just need to get out there and give it a go. And I think, you know, the worst thing that will happen is that you'll meet a remarkable group of people who are inspiring and friendly and encouraging um, and the best thing is that you'll start to learn that, that you are far less limited than you think you are. And that has tremendous carryover to other aspects of your life. I think once you, you realize that, you know, you can extend yourself in every other dimension of your life. And that's a great way to finish. So Peter, thanks very much for your time. And if you enjoyed this or any of the other interviews, you might consider leaving a review or subscribing. Thank you. 